everyone and welcome to another episode of Menopause, the good, the bad and the downright sweaty. I'm Diane Danzibrink and as ever I'm here, well not here together but she's she's about an hour away with my lovely co-host Sophie. Hey Soph. Hello, how are you doing? All right lovely, how are you? Yeah good thank you, good not enjoying the colder weather and the darker nights. Is it giving you an excuse to wrap up in your winter woolies, though? Yes, with my very thick slipper socks on, which you know I love slipper socks. And me! (laughs) (laughs) I've got a blanket across my legs. No, I haven't got a blanket. (laughs) (laughs) I'm fully submersed in in, uh, autumn and liking the... um, I do like the cosy side of it, how it's perfectly acceptable to sit around with a blanket across your legs. The hot chocolate. Have, yeah, hot chocolate with marshmallows and be all snuggly. <laughs> so what, what a difference to a couple of weeks ago when we went away. I know. Love it. I mean, I have to say it's bright sunshine here today. It's cold, but it's very sunny. What's it like with you? Gloomy and overcast. It's been raining. Oh, no, you wouldn't believe she's only, she's only an hour away. No, Boris is not impressed. So Boris is our chow chow and he is he always gets in a massive huff when it rains like he full-on sulks <laughs> it's hilarious he just sits oh, by the back him. door of his face squished against it oh bless him no it is um it is quite different temperature wise to our lovely weekend away lovely isn't it yes so we had a great weekend away in Suffolk where we loaded the car up raided MS um, <laughs> and just got a lot of R&R and Diane became quite the fire starter. I certainly was. I was very proud of my log fires. <laughs> I was too. The fires were huge and they kept going. Um, and we went to the beach and had a lovely day out in the sunshine. Um, had the most amazing afternoon tea with the, the ginormous wedges of cake. I mean, they were huge. And sandwiches and trifle and scones and I mean, cream and jam. <laughs> all I commented on the day was, I'm really glad I wore my stretchy pants. <laughs> and I was, I was very glad. Um, and then we, I had a bit of an awkward moment where I nearly asked the owner of the cottage if I could see his Bam Bams. <laughs> I thought Bam Bams were the names of his little chickens, but apparently they're Phantoms. I'd misunderstood. I seriously wanted to see the man's face when <laughs> she asked him if she could see his bam bams. <laughs> so bantams will forever be bam bams. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh dear. So these um colder colder days and darker nights are the perfect time to read a book beautifully done so <laughs> well, thank you so diane and i were asked a while ago to contribute to uh, menopause book which is being released this friday the 9th of october and it's called emboldened menopause conversations we all need to have and it was edited by lovely caroline harris so it's exciting. It was exciting receiving it through the post, wasn't it, Diane? It really was. So, um, was it what you expected? No, it wasn't actually. It was. Um, I didn't expect the book to be a hardback. No, me either. Um, 
not as it's also a lot bigger than I thought a lot thicker yeah um I mean I absolutely love books and especially kind of hardback books oh um, yeah me they too. look great on the bookshelf mm. and there's just something of the, the smell of a book oh. <laughs> I don't know if that makes me sound really weird no not at all lovely but you know a kindle just isn't the same is it no not at all and I don't know about you but when I unwrapped the book my first thought was oh fancy it's a very swish looking cover very modern it is um, and yeah I just I just liked the weightiness of it and also I think that's indicative of the content yeah but, absolutely absolutely lovely do you want to do you want to tell people a little bit about the sort of premise of the book what it's what the aim is and you know who's in there etc so it's, it's a menopause book unlike any other um as it doesn't really go into symptoms and things like that it's um, has various contributors from all around the world um, and the aim of the book is to change the global menopause conversation. Um, I think it, quite often menopause is stereotyped as like a sweaty hot flushed male that's really grumpy and um, sorry female not male female that's <laughs> hi- good God, hiding away. A little slip um, there my love. <laughs> I know it's obviously clearly Who not on the board today. <laughs> <laughs> thinking of the bam bam man <laughs> so, um I just I find the book really emotive um because you've got people from various walks of life opening up honestly um with kind of sharing quite intimate thoughts and feelings mm. Mm. um and the passion shared within the book kind of makes you see menopause in a whole new light um so I I think a lot of people that read it will kind of feel quite emotional actually um I, I certainly really hope have lots of people read it I really hope so and I'm seven chapters in um taking my time with it just so I can fully absorb it all and yeah certain elements have already really really resonated with me I don't know what you you've thought of it so far so I haven't been um I haven't been as good as you and read it, you know, sort of chapter one, two, three. I've basically picked and picked and chosen. Um there were a couple of chapters in the book that I really wanted to dive straight into. Um so one of them is written by Claire Barstow. Um and I believe Claire is or was a journalist and is certainly a writer. Um, But the reason I was so interested in it is it's about Claire's experience of spending time in prison um, and going through menopause in prison. And oh my goodness, it's harrowing. Um, You know, the fact that, well, you know, she really highlights really well the lack of health provision for women in prison generally um and you know particularly she was experiencing and she found it really difficult to be heard which as we know is something that regularly happens outside prison too that's you know women outside prison find it difficult to be heard when they're going through menopause um but one of the one of the symptoms that she experienced um, was having really erratic bleeding. So sharing a cell with another woman um, and having really erratic and heavy bleeding. 
and they only get issued one set of bed sheets a week. So she was actually having to kind of basically roll up her bed sheets and try and scrub them um, sort of out of sight of anybody. Um, mm -hmm. And also her clothes. Um, oh, it's it's really it is really harrowing reading. It's she's written it absolutely brilliantly. But she says that because her bleeding was so heavy, she was having to wear sanitary protection all the time. But because there was such a shortage of sanitary towels, she ended up asking the doctor for incontinence pants. Mm -hmm. um, sorry, incontinence pads. Um, but they were, again, they were issued on a really ad hoc basis. Um, and she said that often the incontinence nurse didn't have any or couldn't be reached. Um, it's just, you know, Bless you could just can't imagine how awful. And then finally, when she did finally have, um, when she did finally get HRT prescribed, um, she said basically the pharmacy would frequently run out. Um, so even if she ordered them, you know, sort of a week before she needed them, very often they'd run out or stock wouldn't be available or there'd be a problem with stock. Um, on one particular occasion, the pharmaceutical company uh, stopped production of one of the things that she was on. Um, but it's just, you know, you kind of think menopause can be tricky enough, but menopause in a situation where you have very little autonomy you can't get your own supplies. Um, you're basically stuck with the people around you um, all the, pretty much all the time. Um, she said that lack of sleep was, you know, kind of very problematic. Um, obviously, being in a cell with very few distractions, the mental health, the loss of hair, the dry skin. Um, not having a great diet, um, none of that helped. And she says that she went on essentially to um, basically as far as mental health was concerned, sort of mood swings, etc. Um, she was saying how high the incidence of self-harm is in prison. I'm not surprised uh, by that. Particularly amongst women. Um, and she says that because of sort of previous traumas, etc., um, you know, they can essentially be highlighted during this time. There's obviously not a huge amount of support. Um, she spoke to a psychologist who, you know, basically didn't really do anything. Um, and she ended up herself calling um, what in prison are called the listeners and the listeners are. They're prisoners trained by the Samaritans. Um, so Claire had actually previously been um, a listener herself, but she ended up calling the listeners because she was, you know, sort of she was in such a bad place herself. I mean, she's she's out of prison now. Mm -hmm. um, and it is it's really, really shocking. Um I mean, Claire, um, Claire's reason for being in prison is she was sent to prison for murder in 1992, um, but she's always maintained her in, her innocence. Um, and as 
as a result of that, ended up serving a much longer sentence because she maintained her innocence. Um, so, yeah, it's it's absolutely brilliantly, brilliantly written. You know, all these chapters are probably only 12 pages. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'd say. But it is, it's one of the, I have to say, I haven't read all of the others. I've only read maybe three or four of them. But Claire's has really, so far, has really stood out for me. Absolutely incredible piece of writing. I'd so like to meet her to mm -hmm. talk more about what she's experienced and what we can do, her experience and what she feels that can be done to try and change it. Because, you know, that that can't be allowed to go on, essentially. No, what, you know, what about you, what about um, you with the chapters that you've read? What's really what's really jumped out at you? What's really struck you? Part of a sense a sentence that Jennifer Nadel um, speaks about really resonated with me. Um, she said, I was unprepared, like the girl in the shower at the start of Carrie, who becomes hysterical when she discovers she is bleeding because mm. she doesn't know about periods. I knew nothing about this biological and inevitable process. Mm. And I think that would sum it up for so many women that menopause you know for, for me certainly was just never spoken about yeah kind of with my nan it was something that you shouldn't talk about you know this is this is just women's health you don't talk discuss this with your partner they don't need to know and that was kind of the attitude that I grew up around um, and I definitely do not remember menopause being discussed at school yeah at all um, and even before before surgery, you know, I was told that I'd have an, the odd hot flush or two um, and perhaps some vaginal dryness later on in life, you know, in my 50s. Mm. Um, and that didn't even touch on what what menopause can be and the symptoms <laughs> you can experience. What and menopause this... can be and then what surgical menopause can exactly. be. Exactly. And I think there must be so women, so many women that just kind of quite happily going about their daily life and then suddenly start experiencing these various different issues and you know so many women that I speak to say I really thought I was I had Alzheimer's yeah or I felt like something was really seriously wrong with me that I had a brain tumor affecting my memory mm. um I've heard that so many times because mm -hmm. So often it seems that women go from feeling absolutely fine to quite mm. rapidly losing themselves and feeling yeah. a bit helpless. Um, yeah. And this this kind of that thinking was then highlighted by something that Dr. Padmini Murphy speaks about, um, that menopause is, is a human rights issue. Um, <laughs> and I, oh, and in, yes. her, in her piece, she tells us that as a result of rising life expectancy, by the year 2030, the World Bank estimates that the global population of menopausal women will be around 1.3 billion. Yeah. And yet, quite often still now, it seems that there's it's a real struggle to get any help or and understanding. And worldwide, lovely, isn't it? You know, it's it's not just it's not just here. That's worldwide that it can be a struggle to get help. Exactly. And, you know, bearing in mind, it's something that everyone will go through at some point. Mm. I'm shocked that in 2020, 
we're we're still in this situation and I think it's because women's health until recently it has always taken a back seat yeah absolutely you know it absolutely has there's been so little there's been so little research on women's health even when even when research has been done sometimes women have been excluded which is you know I I who the unthinkable hell, who the hell thought that up um but yeah you know sort of I've I mean literally in the last two weeks I have I've counseled women in Australia Africa America and Europe wow which just shows that and they're all women who are and some of those women have um some of those women have almost zero access to any kind of professional that knows anything about menopause so they are literally trying to pick their way through it on their own um thankfully with a a sort of a helpful pharmacist but they you know they're literally having to work it out for themselves and you just think what how the hell can that be how the hell can that be okay how has that been allowed to be the kind of the status quo that and I just think thank goodness well and thank goodness for social media that we have now You, you think about how much social media is used now compared to five ten years ago absolutely I'm, I'm guessing this is how the women reached out to you is by seeing the work that you're doing online yeah absolutely lovely they've all kind of come across me either well either via the website or via things like instagram twitter well <laughs> that's how you and i met it is isn't it just by me doing a plead for help on on twitter and thankfully you happened to be online at that point and saw it in um, fact sophie is still in my phone as sophie twitter <laughs> brilliant <laughs> but you know the the luck of that you know that night that you not only responded to my tweet but spoke to me because you know we've spoken about this before but in mm. that moment i was feeling really rather desperate and it just Mm. makes me think about however how how many other women out there are at this point where they feel desperate um you know I went I had a message from a woman last week who went to her GP and asked for help and they just said you know you you need to take these antidepressants here's some sleeping tablets and she's she's got young children she's a single mum and it, she just said she felt like she wasn't talking to a human, that she was talking to a robot mm. and that she wasn't, she'd gone in there and she wasn't being heard. Yeah. Um, and she was made to feel like she was being neurotic. Yeah, it's, I, d- I don't know, Sophie, I kind of run out of words, really, you know, scandal, disgrace. They're just not enough, really, to describe what this is. And, you know, then I'll see somebody pipe up on social media and say, really, like, what the hell? Why are we still going on about this? And it's like, well, do you know what? Because there are a significant amount of women out there who are really struggling with not just their physical health, but their mental health. And until that changes, we'll keep going on about it. And if you don't like it, well, it's just tough, essentially exactly and the book says um that the book highlights the reality of the menopause experience and how it's so diverse and that it needs to be heard and i think that's the key point isn't it that 
absolutely everyone's we're sick of not being heard now so actually yeah. we're going to keep talking about it and we'll keep talking and keep talking until we can see change across the board for everybody and I think we have to so because you know it's you know you and I have both been in situations with our own hormones where we didn't have the well you know we could barely get out of bed let alone speak up for ourselves and there are going to be lots of those women around the world in that situation so we have a duty to speak up because if we don't who does who speaks for those women if you know if some of us that have sort of come through that time in our lives if we just get on with it and say okay well I'm all right if we don't speak up then who does because that then allows the situation simply to carry on as it ever was doesn't it yeah and it makes it seem like it's acceptable which it really isn't no and it really isn't um I think lovely bearing in mind we've both contributed to this lovely book and I have to say I feel um I feel really honoured to be part of this because I think this is a really groundbreaking piece of work. Um, I have to say it wasn't it wasn't really until I saw it in all its full glory when it came through last week and I realised what an important book it was. I don't mm. think I realised just just how important it was until I saw all those chapters together. But I think now that I have seen it, I think it would be remiss of us, lovely, not at least to um, mention a little bit about what we've both contributed to it. So you have obviously contributed chapter seven with the lovely Stephen um, talking about menopause and relationships. So can you just give our lovely listeners a little overview of sort of what you've what you've discussed in there, Sophie? Yes, of course. So in the chapter, we've um, kind of gone through the beginning of our relationship as we only met in 2017 um, and I went into surgical menopause in 2018. So we kind of speak about the run up to the surgery um, and the preparations we made and the difficulties we kind of faced with things being cancelled and reorganised. Um, and then we talk about the, the days after surgery and how, you know, Stephen talks about how it impacted him and how he found how how he found it so difficult seeing me go through such a difficult time um and then we speak about the effect on our intimacy and and kind of how our relationship has evolved in surgical menopause because it has changed um and we were faced with quite a few challenges so yeah it's very we're very open in it um i find it actually emotional to read back what we've mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah hopefully it will kind of give a really personal insight into kind of a surgical menopause experience especially you know bearing in mind I'm in my 30s um and it's brilliant to hear his voice in it too to hear you know kind of to hear a partner speaking about his experience of supporting you through absolutely and I think it's good to hear his observations on kind of what he what he could observe the differences in me afterwards yeah definitely so your fantastic chapter, I think I'm just very emotional because your chapter made me feel emotional as well. So your chapter, your, you were chapter number three. making. And you've heard matter. that all before. Yeah, I've, 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 you know, I've kind of read, read this before, but I still feel really emotional. I think 
it is just an emotional subject, isn't it? And such an important one that we, we start talking about. So do you want to go over what, what you've covered in your chapter, Diane? Yeah, I mean, essentially, it's it's pretty much about sort of how I've got to where I am now and what has, you know, sort of what's driven that. And what's driven the work that I do now is my own pretty, you know, let's be honest, bloody awful experience of menopause, um, which was similar. Sophie and I are both in surgical menopause. So um, I had to have my ovaries, womb and cervix removed um, pretty quickly because it was considered that I had um, ovarian cancer. Um, I had complex cysts on both my ovaries. Um, it also turned out that I had um, grade or stage for endometriosis a condition called adenomyosis and a massive fibroid so I you know the whole kind of the whole kit and caboodle in there um, I was very fortunate that the surgery was done you know sort of as the surgeon described it to me just in time um, and that was all great but nobody bothered to talk to me about the repercussions of having my ovaries removed at 44 um, so nobody talked to me about surgical menopause. Nobody talked to me about the long term health considerations. Um, there was not a mention of impact on mental health. And essentially, for me, the impact of having my ovaries removed was it had a devastating effect on my mental health for a while um, and put me into a very dark place. Um, thankfully, I have amazing family support and a fabulous husband who did the right thing at the right time and got me in front of somebody that could help me. But what it made me reflect on as I started to feel a little bit more hopeful about life was I wondered if it was just me. I wondered if I was the only person who had suffered that way. And, you know, I'd been spending a lot of time um, basically googling um, to see if other people felt like they were going mad felt that they were alone felt that they'd become a husk of the person that they used to be and shockingly I found well just far too many um, and it just made me think to myself well how can it possibly be that women are half the population they'll all go through menopause and yet we seem to have all this suffering that nobody's talking about so it kind of lit a bit of a fire in me. Um, you know, it was a kind of proverbial kick up the backside, really, um, that I was not going to let it drop and I was not just going to get better and get on with my life. I, you know, basically made a promise to myself that I was going to do something to change it. Um, and whilst I was in no position to support anybody else at the time, um, I went on to do menopause training and did some more psychotherapy training and started to work with women individually, but that just wasn't enough. So I founded what is now um, Menopause Support, which is a community interest organisation. So we're a not-for-profit social enterprise, um, which was all about offering factual, evidence-based information, education for the public, education for businesses and organisations. Um, so basically what we're really about is trying to fill the knowledge gap in any way we can. Um, and then in 2018, I launched the Make Menopause Matter campaign, which is a national campaign 
um, and I launched that in Parliament with cross-party support. Um, so we three aims are mandatory education in menopause for all GPs, because essentially they're most people's first port of call. Um, better menopause support in the workplace, because far too many women end up leaving the workplace as a result of their menopause symptoms and to have menopause included in the curriculum. And, you know, we're very lucky to have had amazing support. I think we've got nearly 120,000 uh, signatures on the petition now. Um, and in July 2019, less than a year after launching the campaign, um, I heard from one of the supportive MPs in Parliament that the education secretary had announced that he was going to include menopause in the curriculum, in fact, from this September. So it is now on the secondary school curriculum, which is which is amazing. <laughs> it is really amazing. Um, but the next challenge is to make sure that it is taught appropriately and that those young people are learning factual evidence-based information and that mm -hmm. those that are tasked with teaching it have the right resources to be able to do that. But essentially the chapter is really all about something Sophie mentioned earlier. It's about, it's not just about women's rights because this isn't just a women's issue. You know, it affects jobs, it affects families, it affects partnerships. Um, it affects every part of life. So even if you're not going to go through menopause, you will know somebody who is going through it at some point in your life. And it's likely that the effects of menopause will have an effect on you, whether you're a line manager, a husband, a partner, a wife, whatever. You know, it is going to have it is going to have an effect on you somewhere down the line. It could be your daughter. It could be your mother. Um and I think, you know, what I this kind of the last couple of lines of my chapter in the book is, is this is exactly what I think, that the truth is very simple. If you are a woman, know a woman or love a woman, you need to know about menopause. We must be the generation to make menopause matter. And I think, you know, I certainly for me, I won't settle until we are, because, as I say, I think it's a duty to make sure that we change this for your daughters, Sophie, and for all the women coming after us. Absolutely. I think it's it's about time, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's about time. Bless her. Yeah, absolutely lovely. It is about time. There's a brilliant... Um, so I hope that we have... I hope we maybe have encouraged you um, to whether you go and buy it, whether you get it out of your library, um, whatever you decide to do. I hope we've encouraged you because, you know, we've literally spoken about, I think, four chapters. But do you know what? There is some absolutely, there's some stunning writing in here. Um, there's a brilliant, I've only read part of this one, but there's a brilliant chapter in here from a journalist and freelance writer, somebody that I've was not aware of before uh but it's lee hurley um discussing the shock of his journey into menopause as a trans man and i think you know sort of that's something that um you know we don't really hear very much about at all um as i say the one that's kind of the one that struck me so far um is the chapter 
about that um, Claire wrote about being in prison. Um, there's another, there's a chapter there from um, a lady called Karen Franklin. And if any of you know anything about fashion, I'm sure in the past you have come across Karen. Um, she's presented, she's broadcast, she's journalist, etc. Um, very well known in the world of fashion. Um, but she wrote a piece a couple of years ago for, I think it's an online magazine called Refinery29. And I remember reading it and then sharing it because it was so brilliant. Um, and I remember at the time, Karen talked about medicating herself with copious amounts of Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, <laughs> and she goes on. What's really interesting about her chapter is she talks about addressing society's unrealistic obsession with youth um, and the negative projections on the maturing feminine appearance. So uh, that's another that's why I think this book is so brilliant, because it it, it tackles this subject from so many angles. Um, and as I say, you know, it's not it's not your these are the symptoms. This is the management. This is how to cope at work, etc. It's it's so much more diverse than that. And I I think this is I think this is quite historic as a as a piece of work. And I think bringing it together, the work that, as you said, Soph, Caroline and uh, Joe DeVries have done bringing it together. I think it's a brilliant concept. And as I say, mm. I'm really proud to be part of it. I think it's a game changer. Mm. I really think it is. So the book is available to buy from a greatread.co.uk. Um, and as mentioned earlier, it's released on the 9th of October. Um, you can follow updates and read snippets of the book on Instagram on the Flint Books page, which is Flint underscore books. Um, so, yeah, we'd love to know what you think. Um, let us know on hello menopause podcast at hotmail.com. Um, and as always, it's been lovely speaking with you, Diane. And you too. Just before we go, lovely, I just wanted to share a quote um, that I'm sure many people, Kirsty Walk, um, so obviously journalist and Newsnight presenter, but her quote, having seen and read the book, is please read this book. It will save your sanity, enlighten you, support you, and I hope make your menopause days sunnier. I think that's a good place to end, honey, isn't it? Absolutely. As always, take care, everyone. Bye. Bye.